Hello and welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Kate Martin, lead ranger at Formby in Liverpool, and today I'll be visiting Exmoor in North Devon. The project team at the Honeycutt Estate are trialling an experimental and rather surprising way to tackle climate change. I'll be checking out their new flood management scheme and learning why it may have the potential to bring back a habitat that hasn't been seen in the UK for over 400 years. Exmoor National Park occupies almost 700 square kilometres of North Devon's rugged moorland and shingle beaches. To the north of this area is the Honeycutt Estate, a 32 square kilometre National Trust managed segment of this parkland. Its coastline, ancient woodland and network of rivers make it a wonderland for the outdoor enthusiast. The area that I'm walking through at the moment is sort of a natural bowl where you've got these sort of rolling hills. So there's a real sort of abundance of natural features here. But ironically, it's some of these natural features that contribute to the climate concerns that have plagued this area for decades. I'm Nigel Hester, and I live within the Hanukkah Estate near Alaford. It's a tiny hamlet of about six buildings, uh, lovely cottages, as you can see. And it's an absolutely perfect place to live. There are two river catchments here. The Horner rises high on the moor, and the Aller comes down the vale behind us, and they both meet. Today, actually, they're flowing nice and gently, and it's all very lovely. Get a heavy downfall of rain, and the water just comes off these steep hills. You just get a torrent coming down. It's looking to spill out, and it spills out into the villages, flooding the cottages. The worst one I remember was back in 2000 when most of the cottages in Alaford and Bossington got flooded out. But I remember one cottage, literally, that the sewer burst and all the effluent came up into the house, completely ruined the whole house. It happened at night time, which is worse somehow, because it's quite scary. It's the uncertainty of knowing when it's going to happen and then the total disruption to your life. I can see a group of stone buildings, which I assume is the estate office, Hopefully, someone there will be able to point me in the direction of Ben Eardley, the estate's project manager, and the driving force behind the flood management scheme that he believes will be able to help solve some of the area's water management issues. Hi. Hi, are you Ben? Uh, no, I'm not Ben. I'll um, just get in for you. Ah, oh, cheers. Ben, there's someone here to see you. Hey, is it Kate? It is. Hey, how you doing? I believe we've got some issues with flooding. Obviously, with climate change, we're seeing more frequent and more extreme weather. But some of the issues are also to do with how the rivers and streams here have been managed. That in itself has caused and does cause issues as well. Now we're learning how we can work with nature to benefit those downstream communities. It would be good to see some of the work you're doing. So uh, any chance we can go and have a look? Yeah, it does get a bit muddy up there. So the only way we're going to get there really is in, is in the gators. I'm intrigued. What's the gator? Uh, that's the only vehicle that's going to get us there. Ooh. Let me uh, pop and get it from the shed for you. There she is. So it's a golf buggy with off-road tyres. Yeah, I guess it is a souped-up golf buggy. It's diesel, it's four-wheel drive, it's got a flatbed in the back, seats four people, 
It's even got a drop top. It's a convertible. That's what right, you're telling exactly, me. Exactly, yeah. We're going to go for a spin? Yeah, let's get on up to the site. This vehicle's fantastic. Go off road. But we're going on the road as well. Seems to do absolutely everything. It's a great place to appreciate the landscape because it's all sort of open-sided. You can see the villages, you can see people's houses. Obviously, these are the people who are affected by the flooding. But there's also a fantastic landscape and I imagine a real abundance of wildlife. So what effect do these flooding events have on the wildlife? This landscape looks beautiful, but it's actually suffered significant declines in biodiversity. So what we'd like to do is to help increase biodiversity, bring some of that lost wildlife back. Ironically, what we'd like to see in certain areas of the landscape is more water. Creating space for water upstream, we can help to reduce flooding downstream. And I also believe that you are doing something a little bit special. Yeah, we've got our own flood engineers, if you like. So why don't we drive on a bit further and I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Come off the roads now, we're actually going down quite a bumpy track. We're just going through a river now. I told you it'd get us there. We're just pulling up. This is a gorgeous spot. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? White Whiteman's Wood. You can see sort of woodlands around us and a field in front of us. If I take you over there, I can talk you through some of those issues that we, we, we discussed earlier on. We're looking out now over rolling green fields. It's a lovely landscape, but it's not a natural landscape. Before this was floodplain, so the water would move through this field. You'd have had wetland streams and ponds flowing down into the main floodplain itself. What we've done to graze these areas is drain that catchment. And you can hear the sound of sort of flowing water. You've got that drainage ditch behind you, but that drainage ditch is there to drain this land so that it can be managed in a certain way. The drawback from that is that that water just moves through the landscape very, very quickly now. So rather than it being soaked up by the field, it just shoots through that drainage channel, straight through the catchment and out into the Bristol Channel. And that's sort of moving really quickly through the landscape. That's when you then get those sort of flooding events in the villages and, and, and people's properties. Yeah. So is the flood management scheme that you're working on at the moment aiming to reverse management that's happened here in the past? In certain areas, we are looking to reconnect those rivers and streams with the surrounding landscape. We've got some little engineers helping us with that at the moment on the project. If you come with me, I'll take you over to the enclosure where we're implementing a big part of our flood management scheme. Fascinating. This is quite a serious fence. It looks quite severe, but it does let the wildlife in and out. But the workers can't, they're locked in. No, we want them to stay on the job. That's quite concerning. <laughs> oh, I'm intrigued now, I want to see them. Yeah, okay, let's pop in. The easiest way to, to walk through the site is up through the stream itself. That's deeper than it looks, I think. Hang on. No, you're all right. There you go. Oh, it's glorious. It's like Narnia. There is something otherworldly about it, isn't it? I think it's been untouched and unmanaged for so long. 
Yeah, if you suddenly came across like a woodland elf or a nymph, you wouldn't you be wouldn't surprised. You wouldn't be surprised, no. <laughs> so you can actually hear some of the work that the guys have been doing up here, actually. Yeah, it's definitely getting louder, isn't it? That water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's some of the work they've been doing. A lot of sticks. Yeah, and that's where they live, over there in the hole in the bank. I'm getting the idea these aren't people. No, they aren't people, no. This is a beaver-created dam. We've actually got beaver <gasps> living and working in here. Beavers were quite widespread across much of Europe and also in the UK. During the 16-1700s, they were hunted. There were still concentrations of them in Germany, France and Norway, but at their lowest, we were at the point of almost losing them. My name is Chrissa Brown and I am a PhD researcher looking at how reintroduced beavers affect rivers and streams. We've seen in the UK this real interest in beaver reintroduction and how they could assist in natural flood management. As a rodent who lives in water for majority of their life, they're interested in creating and extending their territories. To do that, they create dams. By doing so, this water then spreads out. As soon as you're able to increase and extend that area of water, you attract all of these other species and animals that thrive on that environment. Flies, beetles, bugs, fish, amphibians as well. They create life and through their modifications, they encourage that life to continue to use that environment. So this is where they're starting to dam this area. But you can see all the boulders, yeah. stones, all the woody material, all the earth. That's all material that they've moved. They built all that up. The difference between the sort of stream and the top is what, about four foot, five yeah. foot maybe? And how long has it taken them to build that? They've only done this in the last few months. Really? So, yeah, yeah, so it hasn't taken them very long at all. And you can see we're starting to create wet woodland over there to the right. Before you just have one channel, now you've got a variety of different water habitats. That's absolutely amazing. They are incredible creatures, yeah. I mean, if, if we walk around there a section, you can get a better view of their house. I think we can just track straight through this bit. Just walked up through this holly bush and uh, I'm stood in a pond. Around me, there are trees that are now surrounded by water. It's so different from that kind of rushy, tumbly stream that we've just walked past. It's not just about them engineering those water systems, it's as much about the effect they have on the wider landscape. The beavers have done this in a relatively short space of time, only a matter of months. So what are you expecting this area to look like in a year's time? The, the guys, they will take on bigger trees and they will affect bigger change. There's somewhere else that I can take you and, and, and show you that really sort of highlight that for you. It's a very different site to this one, mm -hmm. but more exciting in some ways. Right, let's go. Cool. So this is Paddock's Wood, so it's of different site to Whiteman's Moor. Wow. The first enclosure that we went to, 
they'd, the beavers had created a pool that was tens of metres squared across, compared to where we are now. It does look like something that you would expect to see, like the Everglades. This pool stretches hundreds of square metres, pretty much as far as I can see. This was all dry before, this woodland. This was just a small channel. That's And now, essentially, you've got a wetland and you can see you know, more signs of them felling trees. It's a habitat we've lost in this country. You know, we've lost 90% of our wetlands since Roman time. It's a missing component of the landscape and a super important one. Yeah. It's amazing what relatively small animals can actually do the changes they can make in their environment. It really is quite astounding. I can show you some more further down in the site if you want That's, to yeah. follow me down. That's the, the original beaver dam in the site. So that's, that's what's holding back all that water. That's unbelievable. So that is a, a, essentially a pile of sticks holding that huge pond. They literally constructed this over the course of just a few days. You know, we did a site check one week and the site was just a couple of spring-fed streams and then came in the next week and did our site checks and there was a dam here and a, you know, a, 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 a big wetland. You can obviously see the physical changes that have happened here, obviously with the, the dam and the, the pond and then the stream. But what's the sort of environmental impact of this? When we have sort of more extreme weather, water is flowing more slowly through this environment, so that protects communities downstream. At drier times, when you've got hotter, dry weather and perhaps the risk of drought, you've held more water in the landscape that's released more slowly, so you've reduced the impact of that drought on the local area as well. Obviously, introducing animals into a, a new area, although I know technically this is a, an area where they have been in the past, can bring problems. So has there ever been anywhere where, you know, beavers have been introduced and it, it hasn't worked very well? People always talk about Tierra del Fuego, where they had issues on the woodlands over there. The case of beavers in Argentina is sometimes brought up as how destructive animals they can be. My name is Roshin Campbell-Palmer. I'm the restoration manager for the Beaver Trust. The Argentinian government many decades ago introduced beavers as part of the fur industry. Quite ancient forests that have been either felled or flooded. People looking at it can look at quite decimated landscapes. So beavers in the southern hemisphere can be quite negative because the tree and plant species have never evolved to live alongside the beaver. We're in the northern hemisphere, obviously, where we are, and where species of beavers have always been and evolved for many millions of years. The plant species, they've evolved with them. You know, water-loving species, when they're cut, they regenerate very fast. And this is all natural evolution process to deal with beaver foraging. And that's why beavers in the northern hemisphere are actually a very good thing. All the stuff that we've seen so far, obviously from a sort of environmental point of view and also from a natural flood management point of view, is, is fantastic. But I know myself, you, any sort of change you're trying to do, any sort of environmental work you're trying to do, there are always people who are less keen. Have you had a lot of sort of complaints? I'm of the firm opinion that they're easily managed. It just needs to be a common sense approach. So if a farmer has land and beaver move in and start building dams, he knows who to call to come and sort that problem out. You can put in things called beaver deceivers mm -hmm. or you can relocate the beaver to somewhere else in that encatchment. So it just needs to be sensible and thought through. And I think the positives far outweigh any of the inconvenience we have to accept 
for that species being in the wider landscape. It's interesting. I think most people would probably think of beavers as kind of wild animals that we don't really have any sort of control over. But here, I mean, essentially, they're a working animal. I mean, I know they're not quite the same as a sort of sheep dog or, a, or, a, or you know, cattle or sheep, but they are still an animal that we're put into use to, to do something we want. So do you still see them a little bit as a sort of more of a human connection than you would? Do they have sort of personalities? The animals themselves, they've certainly got personalities. And one animal in particular, we sort of nicknamed her Grills. She had sort of quite a hard start in life. Grills was introduced with her mum. Beavers cache food in the pools and ponds to feed on during the winter when times are tough and construct dams. They're big animals when they're fully grown, well over 30 kilos. Some of the bits of wood that they move would be a significant branch for me to pick up, but obviously Grills wasn't at that stage. She was two, three months old, you know, a few kgs. She wasn't going to be carrying out any great feats of engineering. They pick up a lot of the behaviours that they need to survive from other family members, but things didn't work out like that for Grills. Unfortunately... Her mum passed away within a few weeks of being introduced to the site. People didn't give Grills much chance of surviving the rest of the winter. Beavers themselves have got no natural predators anymore in this country, but young beaver will, will still be taken by fox. We know there are fox around and about in that habitat, and Grills was small. So the fear was that she would be eaten by a fox or that she was simply too small to survive the harsh weather conditions in the winter. Spent a lot of time putting vegetables and fruit into the site to keep it going. We were just checking the camera traps, checking the site regularly, fully expecting to find her having passed away. We were just on tender hooks. We've got several camera traps in the site to check on the, the beaver. We have to go out to the camera traps, uh, download the footage from an SD card, take it back to the office and check. We all sort of hunk around the laptop. When we downloaded the footage from the enclosure that Grills is in, we saw something that surprised us all. We saw footage of Grills trying to construct her own little dam. You know, you'd be stretching it to call them dams. They were sort of gatherings of twigs and branches, but it was good just to know that she was trying her best. She had us in fits of giggles a good few times. She was always trying to carry sticks and branches that were too big for her. She used to do funny little dances and things. She'd try to hold like two or three parsnips in her mouth at once, as well as a branch, and went nose to nose with a fox on the trail cam. That was quite funny. As time went on and she survived sort of week after week, and then, you know, more signs of feeding, more signs of other beaver behaviour, more signs of her looking sort of healthy and okay on the camera traps. That's why she's called Grills. It's a bit of a funny take on Bear Grills and Born Survivor, but it's because nobody really gave her a chance and to everyone's surprise, she pulled through. She's the beaver in here now with the male, Yogi, and they're doing really well. Now I do realise they are wild animals. They and are. There is never a guarantee, no. but do you think there's any chance we might see one? Well, we can potter along to the lodge and I've got a, a thermal imaging camera. That's a good way if they are out and about to spot them. Right, we're going to walk sort of across the back here and then along that bank and their lodge is at the end. So if we're quiet as we walk along there, we've got more chance. 
I'm just going to show you how to use this before we get down there. So anything bright white is hot. Okay. Okay. I keep quiet. That's their lodge over there, so... Oh wow, that's amazing. So you can see just all that jumble of wood and stuff, yeah, that's yeah. their lodge. So you can see the slides of how they get in, and there's a, there's a hole over there as well. Is that a and falling tree? Yeah, a root plane. Yeah. And they've built around that, and then they can access underneath the water out right into the bottom the other side as that's well. amazing. It's a shame we haven't seen them. It's a little bit early. They're still having a good kit. They're like students. <laughs> students, they like sort of sleep through the day. Nothing wrong with that. No. So what's the future, do you think, for them here? We haven't really seen grills very much, so we think it's, it's probably pretty likely that she's pregnant. They'll probably have kits in the next few weeks. They'll probably get even busier with the work that they do once they've got sort of a family, as in, you know, male, female and kits that tends to kickstart another round of sort of mm -hmm. ecosystem engineering. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But yeah, my hope is that in two to three years that we're in a situation whereby, you know, beaver are a more commonplace mm -hmm. species that we see in, um, in our rivers and streams. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Just leaving the beaver enclosure behind me now and I have to say I have had a really eye-opening day. When I first stepped out of the door this morning I thought I was going to see some new amazing technology. It's been 400 years since beavers have been hunted to extinction and it's really nice to see them back now in the UK landscape. Obviously they're not the only solution to flood management, but they are part of a suite of things that we can look at to sort of use nature, work with nature to improve not just habitats, but also improve people's lives. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. If you'd like to learn more about beaver introduction at the National Trust, go to nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash NTP 96, as in National Trust podcast episode 96. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember the National Trust has a huge resource of audio programmes, which you can find at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcast. To make sure you get new episodes of this podcast, follow or subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, do leave us a review to let us know what you think of the show. We'll be back soon with a new episode. But for now, from me, Kate Martin, goodbye. Goodbye.